quick note off the top, this episode was recorded before the events that took place in Washington on January 6th. Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. You're here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Uh, Erica was unable to join us today, but as always, we're thinking about her uh, and we're excited to get her back when she does come back. Um, guys, today is a very, very special episode. I'm super excited. Uh, we all just talked to Matt Devlin, the play-by-play uh, uh, announcer broadcaster of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, so we're going to get to that conversation a little bit later in the show. Um, it, it was a great one. We, we, we relived the Kawhi stuff. We relived the finals. It's, it's going to be very good. We'll set that up. But he's not the only guest on the show. Max said in the pod group, guys, I'm bringing on a friend. Uh, and then he told us nothing else. So Max, <laughs> I'm going to let you take it away. Yeah, um, well, l- let's bring him in right now. Um, okay. Can you? Are you on camera right now? I can uh, I can see you guys, but I don't have my video enabled. Oh, oh, this is good actually. This is Ooh, interesting because um, the reason why I want to have you on now we're not going to reveal your name, but this is this is an old friend of mine, um, and who I was catching up with uh, in the last few weeks, and um, he was telling me about uh, something a movement he's been involved in, and it kind of made me think of the news lately about you know there's a lot of protests happening you know some kind of I think useful protests like when you think about the last year like BLM people taking the streets that uh, you know to fight injustice that seemed good there's been some like anti-vaxxer marches which seemed kind of stupid to me um, so there's many causes uh, you know a, a person can take up and I was talking to my friend which we're just gonna call him uh, what's a good um, what, what kind of name would you like uh, friend the cycling vigilante the cycling vigilante. Okay, this is good. Okay, and uh, we can't use your name because you you have a real job. Um, the yeah, cycling vigilante sounds like an awesome superhero name from like the Watchmen or something, or like the Boys. <laughs> Let the fan fiction begin with the cycling vigilante. <laughs> um, so I was thinking uh, the cycling vigilante can tell us uh, his story, and then we can maybe talk about times that we've had an issue with something and we decided to do something about it. So, uh, Mr. Cycling Vigilante, um, describe <laughs> your cause and a recent incident uh, that occurred. Uh, basically, I've, I've started cycling a lot more avidly as, as many people have done during the pandemic. And my common route was along that, that Yorkville corridor, you know, Avenue Road to uh, church along Bloor. You're going to and from work, right? Is that fair to say? To and from work along that corridor. And uh, it was just constantly, the bike lane was just constantly plugged up with people, um, you know, going into fancy shops for their curbside pickups. And, and these are the most entitled people you can imagine. You know, they, they, <laughs> they just do not care at all about someone coming by on a bike. And uh, if you so much as touch their car, they totally lose it. Um, so I decided after a while that I needed to get a little more organized and perhaps a bit less like directly confrontational. So I had my girlfriend make up these uh, little like informational pamphlets, just like, you know, a small piece of paper, you know, six inches by three inches that outlines like City of Toronto cycling bylaws. They, uh, they're yellow in color, so they grab your attention, make of that what you will. They look like parking tickets, by the way, though. <laughs> <laughs> Who said it? The cycling vigilante did not. 
Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, not not yeah. Now I'm following along. You're following. Uh, yeah. So in, yeah, in order to to you know just get on with my day and not spend my whole time just like yelling at people on Bloor Street, I decided I would just put one of these pieces of paper on any on any. Uh, wow. Here it is. I'm not showing it to the group. I, I have one. You you you've gifted me one. Uh, do you want me to read it, or do you have one ahead? Of, do you have one in front of you that you can read? Here than mine. Go for it. Okay, it says parking violation. You are parked in a bike lane. You are in violation of chapter 886-10 of the Toronto Municipal Code, which states that, quote, no person shall stop a vehicle other than a bicycle or a power-assisted bicycle in a bicycle lane. Violation of this chapter is punishable by a $150 fine. Parking in bike lane forces cyclists into traffic and potential danger. You're putting cyclists in danger. That's in bold. A photo has been taken of your license plate and will be passed along to a local division of the Toronto Police Department. To educate yourself on the Toronto Municipal Code, please visit toronto.ca, etc. Carry on. Yeah. So you'd think, you know, most people, reasonable people would, would get one of these on their windshield and go, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry. No, no. Most people would double down on their, their jackassness and uh, <laughs> start yelling at me. Um, I had someone tell me, well, bikes sometimes are in the car lane, so I can be here. Oh, that was a good argument. And uh, all kinds of things. But it all really started to accelerate right around Christmas time when I noticed outside of the Louis Vuitton store on Bloor, <laughs> the parade, a caravan of like four to five cars all needing to, to get their fancy, uh, you know, um, curbside pickup. So I actually went so far as to like call the manager, spoke expressing my, you know, need to have a bike lane clear for everyone's safety, blah, blah, blah. But then one day I was out there and like it was as bad as it's ever been. So what I did was I just kept doing every car that pulled in right away. I'd slap one of those papers at Max. <laughs> um, I'd take the picture and... Um, you know, I had all kinds of abuses hurled at me. Oh, why don't you get a- Hold on a second. Hold on a second, cycling vigilante. Were you riding home from work at this point or did you just park yourself there waiting for- Looking for trouble. People? Yeah, looking for trouble. <laughs> uh, depends if I had the day off or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is multiple days. <laughs> I uh, became very familiar with the manager there. <laughs> Tight now. Um, I like the idea that the manager could turn into your arch nemesis like a supervillain. <laughs> like, like you're the cycling vigilante and he becomes like, uh, I don't know, Louis, the, the I don't know. There, there's a lot of potential there. <laughs> an artist to draw a sketch for you. Um, yeah. So one day it just re things boiled over and um, she totally freaked out. She said, quote, you're messing with the wrong person. I'm going to call someone to take care of you. And <laughs> later, um, uh, a Toronto Police Services car pulled up and the guy got out, the officer, he said, uh, who called me? Manager comes out, you know, oh yeah, very vindicated. Um, yeah, I did. This guy's been taking pictures of people's car and of the store. And he goes, so that's not illegal. He's taking pictures of a public place. He's allowed to do that. And you could see her just go like crimson. Amazing. She starts like, what's your badge number? He's like this one, 51st division, go ahead, whatever. <laughs> It's a good thing wearing a mask because I have the biggest shitting grin on my face. You could have. <laughs> it only gets better. He then notices this caravan of cars parked in the bike lane, goes up to one, raps on the 
on the window. <laughs> says, this is a bike lane. Can't you like see, read a sign? Like get out of here. <laughs> Ultimate skewering of herself took place. He noticed that in, in between the double doors, they had members of the public going in to pay, which you're not allowed to do because it's not an essential business or whatever, right? So they had to be outside. <laughs> and so he takes a picture and then radios in, you know, two members of the public inside Louis Vuitton store. <laughs> this is one of the top three, like, greatest moments of my life. <laughs> um, I think that the biking vigilante won this uh, particular chapter, and that's that's kind of where it ends. So basically, you just you you removed your mask just for a second to smile, and then you rode away. So it, it resulted in the cars having to leave the bike lane, and potentially Louis Vuitton getting a ticket, an infraction for having customers inside their business. So it's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, it was a big win. <laughs> anyway, I just thought this was an interesting act of civil disobedience that I want to share. You know, I'm a cycling. I'm a member of the cycling community as well, and 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 people being parked in the bike lanes really does piss me off too. So this this story hit home, but I, I figured you know it's a new year. You know, it's like we need to sort of um, think about the the causes that are important to us that we yeah. want to get behind. Uh, so thank you, cycling vigilante. You're you're welcome to stay on uh, this open, the rest of the open here, uh, and because I wanted to throw it to the group, have you guys ever been part of a campaign uh, to you know? Uh, for justice, we we can we we can call it. Did, any any stories come to mind? Shane, did, have you have you ever had to kind of go to high places uh, to make sure that uh, wrongs are being righted? Mm, usually, I go to lower places to to, <laughs> to right the wrong. Uh, this is a story about my dad. Let's call him the uh, dog poop vigilante here. I don't want to use any names, but my next door neighbor. Uh, allegedly the dog that they owned was pooping on our lawn and they weren't picking up the poop. So what my dad did or the poop vigilante did was he picked up the poop and put it in their mailbox, our next door neighbor's mailbox. (laughs) So that was the form of revenge, which definitely kept a feud between the two families for years. And I was never even able to say hello to my next door neighbors until recently, until about two years ago. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah, every time I visit my mom, it's always been awkward to deal with the neighbors. Mr. Cunningham. Yeah. Uh, uh, Mike, well, he's the poop ever... vigilante, Mike. We're going to have to beep that. Sorry, sorry, time. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you know, it's when you talked about that, one thing that jumped to my mind was I remember in high school, I don't know, it was like grade 11 or something, uh, Sorrell McNabb here in Hamilton. The students were all going to protest. Now it was such that, an important yeah. protest. I don't remember what we were protesting. I don't know if it was <laughs> that. That was going to be mine, but I couldn't remember either. I, I, I know we just were excited. I went we online. I went online and looked up like McNabb student walkout, trying to find old Hamilton Spectator articles <laughs> just so I could remember the cause. I think it had something to do with the teacher strike or something. We were going to strike yeah. before the teachers. Anyway, I just remember we all walked out. Like we all went to school and we walked out. And I remember. It was so like um, exciting. Like I remember just the kids spilled into the street and I remember there was like a, a big transport truck was like at a red light right at the corner of like Mohawk and Magnolia and like a, one of the guys, one of the students got on the side of it and like rode it as it started to like drive down Mohawk but then he tried to like jump off triumphantly but then just like smacked his face off the side. It was just like, oh, no. it, it was madness in the streets and it was like, it was like the closest to revolution young Mike ever got and then, you know, I was just, I don't remember the cause. I was just excited to get the day off of school and hang out with my friends at the park. <laughs> Smoke cigarettes. Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of you know tactical ways to uh, 
you know, to take on a particular problem. I, I'm, I've told you guys the Eastside Mario story, right? And I'm sure I've told you this on the pod. <laughs> Isn't this the one that got you fired? Oh, it was one of the many infractions that got me fired. <laughs> Let's hear it. Cycling Vigilante. Have I told you this story about the bread? I've heard the bread story, but I'd love to hear it again. Uh, have I told it? I must have told this on the pod. Have uh, I? Give it, eh, whatever. 2021. Okay. Ash, manager Ash is, uh, is nodding her head. Uh, but the, the short of it, if you haven't heard the story, is that bread was f- is free basically for customers. There's unlimited refills. So if you get like one piece of bread for $1.29, you can get as many as you want. Um, one day at the beginning of the shift, somebody complained about the butter. And so I, I, the, the waiter for that table took a piece of bread out to try the butter just to see, you know, to, to check if, you know, the, what the customer is complaining about. And then... Uh, that server proceeded to pass the bread around and we all took a bite of the bread and tried the butter because it was like at the beginning of the shift and like, who cares? The kitchen manager saw me with the bread in my hand. I was I was the one caught with my you know hand in the cookie jar. Um, and he said, Max, do you ring in the bread? And I said, oh, no, it's this butter situation. And uh, no, I didn't. But I'm, and I'm not going to. And he's like, ring it in. I was like, okay. And I ignored him. And then 10 minutes passed. He said, Max, did you bring, ring in the bread? I was like, no. And then he bugged me a third and fourth time. And then finally, I was like, are we really talking? And by the way, we get 50% discount. So it would be like a 50 cent charge. It's like, and I get the matter of principle, but this is stupid. He wasn't willing to bend or be accommodating to the situation at hand. So basically I said, all right, who wants bread? Bread's on me. So I just started like pointing at all the different servers and all the staff. There's probably about... 12 of us there and I just kept I rang in 12 pieces of bread and just started to hand them out to everybody <laughs> um, and, th- and that I find that to be a really good tactic uh, because it ultimately makes the other person look cheap which which I think is a really like uh, sort of uh, degrading move when someone reveals themselves to be like a cheap sort of uh, like unmovable stubborn kind of person um, I remember somebody so that, that's my move. Like I, I, a similar situation. I was at a Williams Coffee in uh, Waterloo waiting to get on a bus back to Hamilton. And the guy was like, you can't sit in here. And I was like, I'm just, my bus is coming in like five minutes. It's freezing outside. I'm not, it's not busy in here. I'm not taking a table from another customer. Can I just hang out here? And he's like, no, you have to buy something. I was like, this is really what we're doing? Is this, you're not gonna let me, okay. And so I went and I bought the cheapest thing. I think I got like a small coffee. It was like a dollar, you know, a dollar nine cents or something. And I gave him a 20. I was like, keep the fucking change. And I, and I left out of there. Whoa, uh, so I, wow. it's like a, a kill him with kindness kind of thing. If, if you're going to be this unreasonable with me, here you go. And uh, he, fuck it. I, I, this is not about money. This is about the principle and you can have the fucking money. So, What's your, um, your superhero name? You're like the Splendid Spender. <laughs> splendid. I think the well, title I think, of this epi- I think the title of this episode has to be "Keep the Fucking Change." Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. yeah, featuring uh, Matt Devlin and the Cycling Vigilante. Okay, well, anyway, the Cycling Vigilante does have a real job, and we're gonna let him go. But thank you very much. We'll we'll pitch shift your voice so no one, uh, so your employer won't uh, know who it is. Thank you so much for having me on and, and listening to my crazy story. Yeah, and if you and keep going on that, if you have any other incidents with the public on your on your bike, we we want to know about it. Okay. All right, I'll keep you apprised. All right. <laughs> okay. Bye. See ya. Thanks to the uh, the cycling vigilantes. Is cycling or biking vigilante? Yeah, we'll work cycling on it. Cycling vigilante, I think. We got to yeah. find out a supervillain name for the manager at the Louis Vuitton store as well. Uh, Vicious Vuitton? I don't know. Anyway, uh, guys, at this point in the show, we're going to get to our feature conversation with Raptors play by play person Matt. 
Devlin, uh, all three of us were in on this conversation. Uh, I mean, I've been listening to Matt Devlin since he started the job in 2008. Uh, it's funny. I will say like, we have all sorts of people on. We had Keith Urban on a couple weeks ago. And I, when I told Danica we were having Matt Devlin today, she went, oh, wow, cool. And I think it's just because <laughs> she was so excited for me. Like, uh, uh. And, and I'll even say the other thing that's kind of funny about this interview is we just like Mac, uh, Shane and I were talking yesterday and in the pod group text, all we got was a text from Max that said Devlin's in. And me and Shane were like, <laughs> is he talking about Matt Devlin? Are we having Matt Devlin on the show? We didn't know. What, we know when he, well, we didn't I just assumed there was some sort of back conversation between you, Mike, and Max where you were organizing this. Because with Keith Urban, I, I never found out about it. So I was like, okay, it must be Matt Devlin. And this must be the wrong group that Max is texting to. <laughs> So yeah, it was Matt Devlin. Max, what, 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 what prompted you to get Matt to come on the show? Well, I was thinking we should have more guests more, more regularly. I think that's, that's a priority for this pod in the new year and guests that we really care about. Because sometimes in the past, there's, we've had guests that like none of us really give a shit about. And they're, sometimes they're good <laughs> interviews, uh, but it's not like at the end of the day, we're like, oh, I'm so glad we did that. It was, you know. So I was thinking about like our interests and we, I knew we were going to get together to watch the Raptors game. And I have a bit of a friendship with, with Matt. He's always very kind and generous. Um, but it was interesting because I was, was like, do I want to, you know, I don't want to bug the guy too often. And like, am I going to sort of like, like use an ask with him for this? But I was like, oh, I think the guys would really love to talk to him. And there's no kind of better reason to reach out. And I texted him and within about six seconds, he's like, yep, in. <laughs> it was like that easy. Um, and it really speaks to, I think, Matt being an incredible ambassador for the team. I think he, uh, he really does a good job. And I think everybody with the Raptors uh, at every level like has real pride in working for that organization and being an ambassador for the team to the community and doing a show like this. So, uh, yeah, huge shout out to, to Matt for, for kind of being like an A-plus dude in every regard, not only in his job, but in his sort of like, I don't know, responsibility to the public. Not that he needs to have one, but uh, in, in doing this kind of thing. So, so huge, huge thank you to, uh, to Matt Devlin. And thank you, Max, for letting me sit in on the interview. <laughs> and is that because I create the Zoom link? Because <laughs> I have that a suspicion about it. that. And then you kind of confirmed my suspicion because... <laughs> Right before the interview started, you were like, eh, Shane, um, how much is it to pay for the, the full Zoom? And I was like, oh, Max wants to buy a Zoom subscription no, after this okay. so he doesn't have to include old Shaney Boy I in the I know interview. the way your mind works because your mind is always going like, all right, what's the angle here? Like, you know, who, who's maneuvering? Who's angling where? In this particular case, it was like, oh, I think Shane would actually like this interview. Not to say that you wouldn't have liked the Keith Urban one, but I just felt like it would have been, I don't know. It, it, I didn't really put any more thought into, oh, I think Shane would probably like this one. And then I remember that you have been the person sending the Zoom link out. And the other day, Ash mentioned that that's not free. I was like, oh, Zoom links. I see. I didn't know that Zoom links, like the ones that we have, actually cost something. So then I saw the Zoom link this morning. I was like, oh, fuck. We should pay... Shane for doing that because I know you use it for this family tree. So it was not like a calculated effort, Shane. It was just like one thing led to another, and then your mind is going like, "Oh, I know exactly how that motherfucker's." Well, it just crossed my mind that could be a possibility, and then the coincidence of you bringing it up uh, kind of confirmed my beliefs. No, no, no. It was uh, that. That was just a sort of me trying to be, uh, yeah, do my due diligence as you know, one of the members of this pod to make sure that my my guys are not being left out in the cold. You know, that's all. 
I don't want. But I don't did want you, you to know? Mm-hmm. Sorry, uh, did you know I've actually written copy that Matt Devlin has read on the air? No. Yeah, it was very, it was very surreal. One day I was just watching the Raptors game, and then I hear he was with Leo, and uh, Leo's like, "Ah, I, I, I'm, you read that." And then Matt Devlin, it was for a Jim Gaffigan promo that I <laughs> on edited Comedy together. Network. On the Comedy Network. So what happened is I do a 30-second promo, and Jim Gaffigan's a comedian, and he had a show that revolved around him eating food. And he's a very clean comic, but in the, in the promo, he was eating food, and he, his face was all messed up, and he got food all over his shirt. So it made sense in the context of the video promo that you see especially with all the sound bites that are interspersed throughout the promo. But when you reduce it just to the copy that's in the spot, which is the written word, it sounds ridiculous and it doesn't make any sense. So Leo, I hear Leo and Devlin, they're like, oh, you read it. So then Devlin's like, all right, uh, Jim Gaffigan show. The only thing dirty about Jim is his bib. And, and then Leo's like, I'm so glad you read that, not me. And then they kind of laugh about how stupid that copy was. And I was laughing my ass off. This was about five years ago. but oh, Why didn't you bring this up awesome in the interview? I wonder if he would have well, remembered it. He has such good gift of gab. If you take it in a direction, that could be you know 10 to 15 minutes. So it's hard, especially over Zoom. Interjections over Zoom aren't the easiest thing in the world. So I wanted to minimize my diatribes. Well, ultimately, you ended up, I'm so glad you're there. You ended up asking the funniest question about the diver, which is a good, uh, a good tease for the conversation <laughs> yeah. we're about to get to. Uh, yeah, we had on all sorts of stuff. He, he talks about um, the predicament the Raptors are currently in. He talks about his journey to play-by-play. We get into Drake. Uh, you're going to want to hear Shane's question with the diver because uh, it was a good laugh. Uh, yeah, so do you guys want to oh, throw I'm getting a note, by the way, uh, in my ears from a uh, producer um, that Mike sent the Zoom for Letterkenny. So shouts to Mike uh, Veerman for sending yeah, the, the, the Zoom Yeah, the free Zoom link. But then if it, if it, pros- <laughs> if it goes over 45 minutes, the, the interview just ends. <laughs> well, we knew we were keeping it shorter than that. So there you go. All right, let's guys, get to it. <laughs> let's get to Matt Devlin. got nick nurse's book back there along with doug smith's i do <laughs> i i you know uh max and i did an event for nick and then i actually did the audio recording uh for doug smith's book so yes i'm gonna actually ask about that the process of, of, of recording a book but uh yeah before we sort of get into your journey to play by play i max and i were actually in a backyard together last night and we were watching the raptors game and we were both sort of marveling at your ability to sort of be enthusiastic uh on the call even though the raps were down 20 and i was wondering (laughs) uh if if it's been so long since the team has sort of struggled like this did you sort of forget what it was like to sort of to, to cover a team like this well you know look at there's so many different things at play right that uh, you know, I think you take all of that into account. I mean, you know, number one, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, the last time the team played, they were in a bubble in Orlando, and they're the only team that's actually going to play 72 games uh, away from their home base, right? And Tampa has become their home away from home, and through the first three games, they're – playing in front of a very small crowd, but it hasn't been a pro Raptor crowd, right? So it must be odd. I think you take that into account. 
it's certainly different. It's not an excuse. It's not an excuse-based organization, right? They want results. But those are all things that are factors uh, when I think about the start that they've had, along with, you know, since the championship run, uh, Kawhi, Danny, you know, leave last uh, season, 53 wins, you know, best winning percentage in franchise history. And then you clearly you're setting things up for uh, this offseason with respect to free agency. And so you make certain decisions and then you uh, come into this year, a very abbreviated training camp. And, you know, the Raptors just haven't made some shots and there's been stretches of games uh, that haven't gone their way. Uh, am I surprised that they're one and five? Yes. Would I be surprised if they were five and one? Yes. Right. I think it's someplace in the middle and, you know, so it is, it's different. It's also different not being around the team because you really get a good sense and feel when you're around the team, we're calling the games remotely. Uh, so that's been different. Um, and then the 20 point leads, you know, those, those, in today's NBA, I, I told all my hockey friends, I say it's like a two-goal lead in, in hockey. You know, 20-point leads today in the NBA evaporate in a hurry because of the amount of three-point shots that are taken, right? So um, while that game was, you know, cut to 10 points, uh, and certainly, you know, the Celtics didn't think that they would have to go back to Tatum and Brown as they did last night. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, that's what they did. And so, you know, and, and also all along the while, still trying to have a little bit of fun. Right. So. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's one of the sort of the great pleasures of listening to you work is sort of the chemistry you have with Jack and the joy that comes through. And we're going to ask a bit about that uh, uh, a little later, but we kind of wanted to go back to your beginnings and like play by play is such a niche job. Um, is it something that you wanted to do from the start? Is it something that you found yourself sort of in? Uh, what was your journey like uh, sort of going into play by play and then getting to the Raptors? Well, it's it's a long journey, and I don't know if the podcast is long enough. <laughs> <laughs> it was 1982. And <laughs> right, right. It, it, there was no direct line. Everybody has their own story, their own journey. But I wanted to play. I played football, basketball, baseball, played a lot of different sports, and, and I wasn't good enough. And I tried out for uh, – a baseball team uh, when I was at university, got cut, uh, went and played summer ball down in Texas, came back to school and I just wasn't any good, you know, and, and, and so finished out my university years and it was really my senior year that this was something that I thought about. And, and I tried out uh, for uh, the university. I went to Boston college, uh, the uh, local on-campus TV station. And, you know, I didn't even make the, you know, first cut, I think. Right. And got an internship at a TV station. But in the back of my mind, I always thought this maybe would be something right. When all of my roommates were applying for quote unquote, nine to five jobs, that just didn't seem what I wanted to do. And, and I really didn't know about play-by-play to be honest. I mean, I listened, right. And, and I love sports and, you know, I was a kid that every day would look at the box scores and, you know, I would just devour everything. And, you know, I, I would talk about sports 
you know, 24 seven. And I sat back and said, I want to do something in sports. And so I really thought about, you know, getting into broadcasting and I, I went down, my folks were living in Texas at the time. And after I got out of school, I went down there, interned at KTRK, which is the ABC affiliate in Houston and Bob Allen, who has since passed, but a legendary local uh, sports anchor and Jeff McShane and Tim Melton, they were unbelievable to me uh, behind the scenes. I worked for free and interned and worked at other places to make ends meet. And uh, they guided me uh, in, the, in the right light. And I thought, hey, wouldn't it be fun to be, you know, a sports anchor in a local market? I spent a lot of years growing up in Nashville, Tennessee. There was a local guy by the name of Charlie McAlexander uh, who uh, was a sports anchor on the same station that Pat Sajak was the weatherman <laughs> um, mm. before Wheel of Fortune and Dan Miller, who was their lead anchor. And they, they were, you know, they, they were all awesome. So anyway, that kind of got it going. And, and then I went into, I went to Abilene, Texas to work for KRBC for $5 an hour uh, <laughs> to be the weekend sports anchor reporter. Uh, and it was really about a, a year and a half into that. One night, Bob Costas had a show called Later with a Bob Costas, and he was talking with Vin Scully. And they said, if you really want to be a great play-by-play announcer, or pardon me, if you really want to be a great broadcaster, you, you, you need to do play-by-play. And of the sports, baseball, because of time management, right, is a great mm. learning, uh, great learning Right. Yeah. You, you can't you can't say everything you want in the first inning because because it's like if you're trying to fill your time, it's like, OK, you get to inning three and you're like, OK, all my good stories are gone. Right. So look at this, this this journey that started in Abilene then led to me getting into play by play, sitting in the stands in Springfield, Illinois, because the general manager at the time, the Springfield Cardinals, didn't think I was very good, even good enough to be for the, uh, on the air as a single A uh, announcer. I was a number two announcer there and I was just working on my craft and that led to Palm Springs and that led to doing um, Dimension Cable, University of California, Irvine and Eater basketball games for 25 bucks. And I, I, I just, did whatever was available for me to get on the air, that's what I did. Very much like any person that's in you know, the on-air business, the entertainment business, or whatever it takes to get yourself out there, to get comfortable with who you want to be or who you are. And and so that was kind of the beginnings of play-by-play. That was, you know, 1992, went to Palm Springs, went to New Haven. There was a lot of stops along the way. I don't want to bore you. Um, And then Carl Shear, I was in 1999, I got a big break. The, the then vice president of entertainment for NBA, for the NBA gentleman by the name of Adam Silver. He's yeah. currently the commissioner, hired me to work for NBA TV. And that was kind of my first big break. And then that led to uh, calling the Memphis Grizzlies and the Charlotte Bobcats. Uh, and then uh, in 2008, uh, the Toronto Raptors uh, reached out and uh, came up here and and moved the family and and absolutely love it. It's hard to believe it's my thirteenth season. 
Matt, you know, that's, I love, you know, the, the Nick Nurse book. It's just like all these characters are, are come back into his life. So it's, you know, with Nate as an, coming on as assistant coach, even though he's coached Nate when he was in uh, college. And now Chris Finch is now his assistant coach. And, and so I love hearing that story about Adam Silver. I was just like, so I wonder, how, you probably have so many of those. It's like, oh, that guy, I've known him since 1994. Oh, oh, I knew his father or whatever. Like, I love that. Well, there there is amazing, you know, along the way. I mean, I've been very fortunate and blessed to do what I love to do. And, you know, the first time I did a game with Jack Armstrong, we were calling New York Liberty basketball games in the WNBA. And we've done college yeah. games together back in the late 90s. And, and so we've known each other for a long time. And I've known Leo for a long time. And, uh, you know, working, you know, Turner games, you know, Mike Fratello, the czar of the telestrator, working with Steve Kerr and Jeff Van Gundy and Kevin McHale and just these unbelievable individuals that, you know, teach you so much. And, you know, you sit and listen and learn. And, um, you know, it's really been a joy even, uh, you know, doing Major League Baseball on, on Fox and filling in for Joe Buck and years ago and, uh, doing a game with Tim McCarver and, and, you know, who's legendary in baseball, you know, those are all just, you know, wonderful moments kind of along the way. And I've uh, been very fortunate. Uh, hey, you know what, because we probably only have about 10 more minutes with you, let's do really? someone. Yeah, you, you guys, you guys only ask two questions. I talk a lot. <laughs> well, I was going to say, let's do a rapid fire kind of thing. Okay. So, cause, cause we have about 20 questions that we're like so excited to ask you. So Max, Mike, take it how, off. How, how dare you, Max? I'm loving listening to Matt. Okay. No, I know, the I know, but there's this so great. much. Oh, oh. <laughs> I got to shorten my answers. No, it, it'll be a weekly segment. This is probably what it's going to turn into, but uh, go ahead, Mike. <laughs> Sh- Shaney looked like he was going to ask a question there. Thank you, Mikey. I just had a quick question. Were you born with a slick radio voice or is that something you developed as, as the job? You, you, you know, um, you know, I, I remember, I mean, I don't have this huge baritone type of voice. Right. And um, it's game you know, show think, slick, though. I don't know. I don't know if it is, but it's uh, it works, you know, for mm-hmm. me. And uh, maybe maybe I did. Maybe. You know, I've always been comfortable speaking uh, in front of people. And and so maybe, you know, there's been, uh, you know, all the times that you would take the newspaper, Shane, and read it out loud or whatever like that. Uh, but there's been no formal training, that's for sure. So maybe it has been there. I don't know. But back in the day, back in the day, they always used to say, right, you know, drink, uh, you know, drink a lot of black coffee, get your voice kind of raspy and all the other different <laughs> things. And, and I think that just happens over time with age, you know. And I wanted to ask, what is a bad day at the job like for you? Like when when your game is off, what does that sound like? That's a great question. Um, I think the biggest fear is always, are you prepared enough? And so I do a ton of preparation, but the game always dictates where you go. And then you, you know, so much about what we do is about everybody else, right? It's about the players on the floor and it's about the producer, the director, uh, the camera operators, all the support that you have in uh, the truck, very much like, uh, you know, the TV truck, very much like a band. It's not about just the lead singer. It's about everybody working in unison. And there are times that from a technical standpoint, 
you know, things can go, uh, things go sideways. And, and really that just comes, I think, with experience of handling those situations. Um, but those situations come up. And I think as you get older and wiser, you realize that, you know, your job is to handle those moments as best you can. Uh, there are nights where you mess up a call and you go home and you think about it all night. You know, that does happen, right? Um, and then you get to the point where, you know, because basketball is played pretty much every other day, you wake up and you have another, thankfully, game to do. But have there been calls along the way that I wish I had back? Sure, there's been them. But I think just like anybody, just like an athlete, you got to put that, learn from it, put it behind you and move to the next. If that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's interesting. We watch a lot of league pass and you hear a lot of different broadcast teams around the league. And Zach Lowe sometimes will touch on when guys are, you know, the big homers or whatever. I think you, you do a great job of being objective and sort of calling it as it is. Are you cognizant of that? This is actually a two-part question. So that, and then secondly, have you ever said anything on air about a player where you kind of had, it got uncomfortable on the plane, say, uh, a couple days later? You know what? That's a good question. Uh, the first one is no. Uh, I don't think I've ever said anything on the air uh, that you know, traveling with the team, you know, something got uncomfortable or, or anything regarding a player uh, that I can remember. Um, you know, my job is is you know to be entertaining and objective, but also I, I, there's a fan element to it too you know, where you want the team that you're calling for to win it. You know, when you do a national game uh, where, let's say, it's the Warriors and the Knicks playing, uh, you know, you want to do a great broadcast. And at the end of the day, you know, whoever wins is whoever wins. But when you're doing a local show, um, although we're national here in, in Canada, you know, I'm doing a Raptors game last night um, and – you know, they're taking on Boston and, you know, there's a fan element to it that I want the, of course, I want the Raptors to win. Right. Um, because, you know, more eyeballs, more people watch it. I, I like Nick Nurse. I like the players. I like Masai and Bobby. They're good people and you want them to be successful. And so, um, you know, there is an element there where uh, you do want uh, your, you know, the team that you're following to win. And, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I haven't said knowingly like, Hey, we got to do X, Y, Z. Right. <laughs> but I think there is a balance. There is a balancing act to that. And I think you have to be cognizant of that because there are times when you have to be critical. And I think, but then there's also times like last night when you're down 20 and you have some fun and you cut it to 10 or Pascal makes the first two threes, right? There was so much worry and everybody angst about whether or not, you know, was he going to break out of it? And, and so I, I, I had a little bit of fun with those sort of moments, right? So there's a balancing act to it, if that's makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, Drake has seemed to buddy up to, to you guys. Uh, and in the past, he's jumped on the broadcast. So one, uh, did you anticipate sort of developing some honor chemistry with Drake? And two, do you have him in your phone? I do not have him in my phone, but it is always great uh, to see Drake. And it, it's it it's so that happened so organically that it's that's what makes it so much fun. And 
I, I, we've had him on and you'd always ask, right? And then what happened one night, and I can't remember if it's three, four years ago at this time, probably four years ago, that Drake sits right next to us and looked over and said, hey, you know, uh, you're going to have me on tonight or something along those lines. Or, <laughs> or I said to him, hey, do you want to come on? And, and he's like, yeah, but I want to do it from my seat, right? And so I told the producer, I said, hey, I think we'll, we'll get Drake on, but he doesn't want to get up and sit in between us. You know, he just you know, wants to stay in the seat and go, well, we don't have, we don't have a mic that can reach over there. I said, yeah, we do. I said, I'll take my play by play, you know, microphone headset. I'll move it over. I'll take the spare, which is typically in the middle, which is when you have a guest or something technically happens, you grab and I'll use that and we can make this work. And it was awesome because it was, you know, let's go to Drake, you know, our courtside reporter, right? He's right there, you know, with his feet on the court. And so then after that, we now have, when we're courtside, we actually have the um, Drake headset all set up because the cord is extra long so it can reach his seat. And, and, and we just kind of look at each other and he'll look at me and say, hey, let's go, you know, whatever. And it's awesome. Like we've had him on the air. I cannot tell you how many times in and over the last three, four years, and it has never been planned, never mm. been planned. He knows when the moment's right. You know, we kind of know when the moment's right and it just happens. And it is fun TV when he comes on. Uh, it really is. He's awesome. Actually, on that tip, um, how much, because we've had a chance to sit courtside on, on the odd occasion and just the scene w when you're... Uh, you know, standing at courtside and just like, you know, the various celebrities or the recognizable figures or like oh, there's the guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you guys um, show up. Do you, is that is that a thing that you and Jack or you and Leo would talk about off air? We're like, oh, do you see so-and-so over there? Or that's so-and-so's girlfriend or whatever. Is that, is, that, is that part of the fun for you? Well, there's no question that when you're on the floor in Toronto – there is a buzz in the building. You guys have been there, right? Mm -hmm. There's a buzz. There really is. And because of the success of the Raptors and with the film industry uh, here in the GTA, that there's a lot of people that come to the games, right? And, and so it is a lot of fun to see that. That's also inclusive of when you're at Madison Square Garden, right? The mm -hmm. world's most famous arena and you're you're there and it just, there's a specialness to it. There's a specialness in Toronto as well as the Los Angeles Lakers, right? Uh, when you, when you see Jack right there, uh, we used to sit right next to him. Uh, now, you know, they've moved us off of the floor. So you're not down there as close, but you know, just at halftime, you know, having a few uh, words with them and uh, you know, like, you know, it's fun. It's fun. It, it creates, I think what makes the NBA, so unique is that you have fans that their feet are right there on the playing surface makes it intimate right it's it's the difference between you know playing in you know a massive stadium compared to playing in a 4000 seat venue right and having the fans right on top of you and and in the NBA that's what you have there's no barriers right and that intimacy is something that is really cool and it makes a game, you know, part of what makes a game so special.
I wanted to ask how live is the game? And what I mean is I was watching a sports clip the other day. It was an Olympic clip. A diver uh, spent his whole life training. He had a big dive. He dove. He actually screwed it up and belly flopped. And the announcer <laughs> went, fuck, and said it. And it made it onto the broadcast. <laughs> so how many provisions are in place? Shane, you saw that on like Instagram and a guy dubbed it in. Right. <laughs> maybe no maybe no maybe maybe i didn't do my research but is there any provisions in place to prevent some slip-ups let's say Kawhi misses that famous shot do you and you swear accidentally can you hit a button and remove it <laughs> ah shit Kawhi. <laughs> going over Kawhi from mississauga fuck yeah <laughs> I think I think there's a 10 second delay or something, and, and I'm knocking on a lot of wood that I haven't used. You know, I haven't had to use that, and um, and I I try uh, try to avoid that at all costs. Um, sometimes I think things do happen, though. Do happen, right? Things do happen. Um. <laughs> Lastly, as we wrap up, uh, I did want to kind of, since Shane brought it up, go back to that Kawhi shot in Game 7 against Philly in the second round. Uh, as a play-by-play, as a broadcaster, you know a moment's coming, whether he misses the shot and they go to overtime or not. Are you thinking about, what am I going to say if they hit this? Or are you just, are you like a jazz musician? You want to do it like live off the floor? Or are you kind of going, man, what am I going to say if one of these guys hits this? And you know Kawhi's getting the ball. Right. I think what you go back to is a little bit of, your training and your training being all those years of experience. It's a great question for me. It's in my mind. What I went through was the facts 4.2 seconds on the clock. Whose ball was it? How many timeouts left? Who was inbounding it? And then whatever happened, what was the outcome? Because the reality of it is if he missed it, you go to overtime. Right. And, and so um, it's 90 to 90, 4.2 seconds left. Ball is inbounded. Kawhi turns a corner at the right wing. Ben Simmons hands him off to Joel Embiid, and he's fading, and the shot goes up with a rainbow arc, and it bounces four times and through. And so you're just trying to describe that. Only one time in my career have I uh, actually put something down on paper um, toward the end of a game. And, and that was game six of the NBA finals. And what happened was game five is all three of you remember was just a hectic, crazy, chaotic finish with Fred Van Vliet, putting it on the floor, one bounce, throws it in the corner to Kyle opposite the bench of the Toronto Raptors. Draymond Green was kind of caught between the two, but able, because he never committed to uh, Fred, was able to get back and just got a sliver of a fingertip of, of the basketball on the Kyle shot, redirected it, and, and the shot didn't go. And... I remember running into Nick uh, down in the parking garage after the game. And I just kind of looked at my coach, man, oof, you know, and he goes, ah, he's like, don't worry, Maddie, we'll get, we'll get the next one. And I thought to myself at about, that was about, 
I don't know, one in the morning or so. And by two or something, uh, there was a, maybe it was earlier than that, but about one thirty-two, we received a text about be at the airport at nine 30, you know, we're flying to San Francisco. And so that's when things really, and maybe it was a little bit of the fan in me of not wanting to jinx anything, not thinking about, Hey, the Raptors are just one win away from winning an NBA title. And so then I really started to think about it. And as I'm the next two days walking all around San Francisco, and then ultimately on that Thursday, what kind of came to me was how do you say something very brief and something that's going to be lasting and something that you know that whenever that gets replayed, it's going to come up and come up again and again and again. And, 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 and it was an unbelievable journey as all four of us know. And so what came to me was, you know, Canada, the NBA title is yours. And then very simply, you know, the Toronto Raptors are the 2019 NBA champions and lay out and let the crowd, that was what I was picturing. The other thing I was thinking about was do not say it too early. Capture the moment when the clocks hit zero, because we also know that the games have ended in a lot of different ways. And as we know, you know, Danny Green, turnover, Pascal, the no timeout, timeout, the, you know, all these different things that were happening that were playing out. And so I just told myself at that time, just um, wait till zeros are on the clock. And I had a index card next to me that I had jotted down Canada, the NBA title is yours. I just wanted that line. And that was the only time that I've ever done that, but I felt that it was, um, I felt that it was appropriate, right? You know, don't mess that one up like Shane was talking about. <laughs> Canada, the effing title is yours. Oh. Exactly. Exactly. Well, man, thank you so much. I, 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 just reliving that was wonderful. I could, I just wanted to keep basking in that that title and sort of you describing uh, the steps to that moment. But uh, yeah, Maxie or Shane, if you have anything else, Matt, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing that with us, man. Mike, any time, and, and sorry if I took up too much of... Uh, no, no, no. Never. No, it was great. Next time, we'll all. just uh, put a bigger window in there, and uh, we could just listen to you for hours. It'd free be flow, awesome. Free flow. Yes. No, there's... Awesome. You know, look at that journey was such an amazing journey, as we know, right? And it's something that uh, was just so fun to, to live through. So thank you for having me on, and uh, hopefully we get to see you guys... Uh, Sooner rather than later, right? In the building. That's the dream. Yeah. In the building. That's right. That's right. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, Matt. Really Thanks appreciate so much. it. Thank you, guys. Welcome back. Uh, thank you to uh, Matt Devlin for a great conversation, for taking some time to chat with us today. And also, from the start of the show, thank you to the Cycling Vigilante for sharing his truth. Uh, it was a, an inspiring true. story of, <laughs> of uh, civil disobedience. Keep it up. Uh, what a banger of an episode. Lots going on. And now it's time for Shane's surprise. Shaney, what do you got for us? I had two. Um, I was debating back and forth of which to go with. Uh, okay, so there was one about hat fishing. It's, this, it's like cat fishing, but it's, guys are doing it online. 
where they're wearing hats in all their profile pics and they're really oh. bald. Uh, oh. So, so I wanted to see your thoughts <laughs> on that. If, if there's anything you would hide in a, or be misleading about in a dating profile. And then I also, there was this another story out of Russia where they're doing the vaccine over there for COVID, but they're recommending that people don't drink three days before and up to two months after it. And uh, the in this article, at least, it was implying the Russian people can't handle that. There is a notion that they, they love vodka. Okay, so then one person who was really upset about this, uh, this is translated from Russian, said, I boozed like there was no tomorrow between the first and second uh, jabs, said one Moscow resident who didn't want to be identified. And I've got antibodies coming out of my ears. So... <laughs> I wanted to ask you guys if there was restrictions on uh, getting the vaccine, like you couldn't drink, or is there anything else that would make maybe make you hesitant to get the vaccine? If say we couldn't drink in order to get the vaccine, and I'm and I, I would get the vaccine, I'd kind of like the 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 month and a half that I would have to take to not drink, sort of being non-optional. It'd almost be like, well, hey, it's, I got the vaccine, I can't drink mm-hmm. this month, so I would be I'd be down. It'd be like a dry, dry, dry Feb. But yeah. what I wanted to take it to was not because anyone can do a couple months. I want to yeah. take it to a year. Let's take it further. Could you go a year without sex and booze? <laughs> what is the sex part about? I don't know. I'm just thinking of something that's hard to live without potential. Oh, sure, sure. Um, not for me. I'm married. That's a sex. Because <laughs> married people uh, don't have sex, Max. That's the joke. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's so let's just let's just break it down. Would you go without sex and booze for a year if it meant that COVID would not be a thing ever again going forward? Ever? Oh, interesting. Because I think we've actually learned a lot from this COVID run, and I think the scientists are going to be way more prepared. So next time we run into a little little snaggle there, we'll uh, we'll be okay. But we'll, the scientists will be that much more ready. So I I think I'd, I'd be willing to deal with the next one because I think we're going to be better at dealing with it. So I don't think I would make that trade. <laughs> uh personally i would not i i it would i would not want to make that trade uh, personally but if it was for the greater good of humanity like sure i guess i'm in you know i want people to be happy what about you shane yeah i, th- I think i could do it yeah, yeah I, I don't think it would be that hard because you can still do other stuff right mm-hmm. well we didn't clarify are you so like you're insinuating masturbation and getting uh, well, high weed you could you could smoke weed right, and right. yeah you could maybe oral Ha, 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 ha.